You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles hunting podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and on this podcast, you will find tons of relevant information that will help you become more successful in the field. You'll hear product information directly from the manufacturer and success stories from guys and gals just like you. Sit back, relax, and pour a stiff drink. This episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast starts right now. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. If you haven't already, go check out exodusoutdoorgear.com. Check out their trail cameras. They're pretty bitching trail cameras it is the week of the ata show and man i'm getting ready to go into a lot of meetings this week i'm getting all my uh literature ready for the nine finger chronicles and for the sportsman's nation and uh, i'm really i'm really excited to hit up louisville this year for the pure fact this is the first time i'll be going to the ata show and it's going to be more about business than it is about going and having a good time. I mean, I'm just, I'm swamped with meetings the first two days, and then there's a little bit of a, a relaxing period on the last day, but uh, man, nonetheless, I'm really looking forward to getting out there, checking out all the new products that are coming into the hunting industry, and at the same time, getting to hook up with all my old buddies that I haven't seen in a, in a while. Uh, and that's one thing I really like about the hunting industry is, there is a ton of great people, um, and we're all kind of like-minded individuals, so that's even better yet, right? It's it's awesome to meet new people who have new ideas and stuff, but when you get a group of people who just love to hunt and, at that, love to bow hunt, it's a win-win situation, so really looking forward to that. Now, on today's podcast, we're going to be talking with a guy named Cody Lippincott, and he is going to tell us one hell of a story about a buck that he chased for multiple years and it's 
It's a stud buck on highly pressured public ground. And I love these kind of stories because um, if guys like him can do it, anybody can do it. All you got to do is put in the hard work. And uh, that's what this podcast is about, man. He, he talks about all the hard work that went into harvesting this buck. And uh, that's what the story is about. I do want to apologize that I, I kind of had to end the podcast a little bit quicker than what I usually did. But uh, we hit a time frame window and that time frame window closed and I had to leave to go pick up my daughter and um so I ended this podcast somewhat quickly and I do apologize for that but today's 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 podcast is brought to you specifically by wasp archery now made in America products right are awesome and when they're made in America that's great but not only are they made in America, they are made from literally the best possible material that these guys can get their hands on. I, I did a podcast a while back, and I think you guys should go search it out with Fred Doherty, and he works for Wasp, and he kind of talks about all of the quality products that go into the making, the material that go into the making of their broadheads, and, and as you guys if you listen to this podcast, you'll know I'm a fan of their fixed blade. I use the Boss 4-Blade, and uh, they have mechanicals as well, but I'm a huge fan of their Boss 4-Blade, and until until it does me wrong, which uh, mechanical broadheads typically don't do you wrong, or excuse me, fixed blade broadheads typically don't do you wrong, uh, I'm going to keep shooting them. It's one of those things where I've found what I am confident in, and I'm going to use that product until I am no longer confident in it. And uh, I'm really confident right now in my uh, my boss, Four Blades from Wasp. Go to their website, and I know the season's over, but they make a good gift. Stock up on them right now. Uh, go check out wasparchery.com, and you can purchase a pair of whatever broadheads you want for a discount of 20% by entering in the discount code nine fingers. So go ahead, enter the discount code nine fingers and you will save 20%. So there is that check out wasp. Um, I think we're done, man. I think we're done. I think I'm going to go ahead and get right into the podcast today. It's a great one. It's good. Big buck profile with Cody Lippincott. Enjoy. All right, today's podcast, I am joined by Mr. Cody Lippincott. How you doing, man? Good. How about yourself? Can't complain. I can't complain at all. And uh, the reason you're on this podcast is today typically means that something good happened in your life, and that good thing is you killing a gigantic buck. And before we get into uh, the, the story of this buck, why don't you tell everybody where you're from and what do you do for a living? Alrighty. Um, I'm from Waynesburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, I've been working in the oil and gas industry for about six years. Uh, started right out of high school. So I'm out in the field, uh, pretty much every day. So I'm out here with these deer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Taking care of gas. Well, so. Okay. So on, on your job, do you get the ability to like, because if I worked in an outdoor type of job, whether it was like mowing ditches or grading gravel roads or, you know, being a, a timber estimator or, you know, trimming trees or whatever, 
I'd be working, but at the same time, in every one of those properties, I'd be looking for deer sign. I would be like trying to figure out if I could get access to specific pieces of property. In your daily routine, do you th- have those thoughts and ever like ever try to approach people to hunt their properties? Yeah, I mean it, it's honestly nonstop every day. It's you're constantly finding things, you know, and finding sheds from the road. Uh, yeah, I, I I probably doubled my the land that I could hunt ever since I started in this career. Probably probably doubled. <laughs> that's just from the. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. That's awesome. So let me ask you this question. Yeah. Before you took this job, uh, did you? hunt specifically on public ground or knock on door private or did your family own any ground yeah so i was hunting pretty much a hundred percent uh private land before i took this job uh pretty much just hunting all family farms and that was it that was it but once once i started here you know i started finding coal companies and all kinds of different different properties yeah gotcha Uh, so on yep. these uh, on these properties that you get access to, whether they're uh, you know like um, individually owned or owned by a company or whatever, talk to us a little bit about how you approach or what steps you take to see if you can actually hunt that piece of property to try to get permission on you know whatever whatever piece of property you run across. Okay, yeah, I mean a lot of times I'll be out you know taking care of wells or something, and you you kind of when you're going there every day and every day and every day, you're going to run into somebody eventually. Uh, so a lot of it's just word of mouth running into a landowner. I might see him 20 times before I, you know, ask him about hunting. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, I know, you know, it doesn't work out, but, uh, I would say the majority of the properties that I hunt are, there's other people hunting them. There's a lot of people hunting them. And it's, it's kind of public, but it's just not public knowledge that you would just you're not just going to run across it you know what i mean so with on it with on x hunt maps and and stuff like that and just really doing the research i kind of find them and there's not really anybody to ask you just find out that they're they're public um just not a lot of people know about them for whatever reason gotcha so are these smaller public land pieces that may not be posted as public hunting that you're that you're getting access to yes yes exactly like there's some of them that are they're great big pieces that they're not they're not great pieces if you're looking at them from the road or or whatever people might see them and say that's too thick or it's you know it doesn't look great there's not big great big fields or easy access you know but uh i think i Exactly. I think that's what keeps people out of them, though, a good bit. Just they're kind of crappy pieces. And when you see, like, rifle season, yeah, there's always a bunch of people in them. But archery season, it's there's usually not near the people. Right. That's uh, crazy you mentioned that because one of the best properties that I ever hunted, and on the very first year that I ever hunted this property, I think I saw five deer and this is no joke and people can call me full of shit, but in the first year that I hunted this property, I hunted it quite a bit because I was unemployed at the time and I hunted, I think I saw four or five deer 
over 170 inches on one piece of property that when you're driving down the road, it just looked like some CRP fields back to a fence line. But what you couldn't see is it all these like the drainage drops down, it starts to get thick, the timber grows up, and there's really good bedding, and it's connected to another piece of property. So from the road, it looks like garbage, but you get into you get into the property, and it hold it held something really special, and and that was right around the time where digital maps slowly started becoming more popular and more accessible, and you could sit there yeah. and look at that stuff and r- realize, oh my God. You know, this is an overlooked piece of property. Exactly. Yep. Same. Same thing. Same thing. I, and I, a lot of times too, with with finding it, I'm seeing a buck. I'm seeing a, a buck I want to hunt before I even. You know what I mean? I I don't really see a property sale. I like to hunt that property. I would see bucks in areas, and then try to get the close as close to them bucks as possible, on the public. You know what I mean? And they're just seeing that it, it seemed to work out more times than not. Gotcha. Gotcha. So the story, the story of this particular buck, what was, what was the name that you gave him? Uh, Pinky. Pinky. Okay. And that's what we're going to reference Pinky. All right. So, so the story about this buck, I mean, you were hunting private ground for however, um, you know, many years, then you got this job and this job kind of opened the door through this job and through digital maps, it kind of opened the door for you to find some additional public land to start hunting, correct? Yes. Okay. All right. So does the story of Pinky start or take place at all on public ground or is most of it done on, on private ground that you got permission to through your job? So the the story where it starts, I could not hunt. I could not hunt the deer when I first found him um, because the property was leased. It it was public ground, and then it was leased the very first year that I found him. Uh, so after I found the very first shed, I couldn't hunt the deer for the first for the first year. Okay. All right. So, you're, what do you mean when you say it was public, then it got leased? Like, was it so, a, a piece of property that the landowner gave anyone permission, or was it a program through the state that made it public? So, the property was owned by a coal company, and then I don't know if it was a worker or who, but somebody leased that property that year and had the hunting rights. Um. So they didn't, they leased it, you know, the beginning of deer season, I guess. I, that was the only time that it was private is when it began. So the spring of 2015, I found a shed. And then deer season in 2015, the property was leased. But it was only for that one year. That was the last year that it was leased. Okay, sounds good. All right, so let's let's go all the way back to 2015. And I want you to start this journey, this story of the buck pinky. So... How does okay. this how does this story start? All right. So in 2015, um, I'm working, you know, on the gas wells and uh it was kind of a late night, so I was stuck out there, I don't know, till about five o'clock. And uh I just decided to take the long way home so I could check some uh hay fields and stuff on my way home for, for sheds. Um and I, I glassed a few fields and didn't really didn't really see anything. And I got to this property where 
which I had heard that there was big bucks in there before, and it, I knew there was bucks there my whole life, pretty much, you know. And I was cruising by, and I spotted a five-point side just right off the road, like 40 yards off the road. Um, so I picked it up, and it was it was, it was the biggest shed I had found in my life there, and uh, which I had been shed hunting my whole life. Um, so I was really excited about that shed, you know. So next day, I'm chomping at the bit all day at work, just ready to go find this other side. Um, so I went home and picked up my wife, which that only leaves us probably about an hour of daylight, you know, left in the day. So we get back over there and my wife had never found a shed before. 20 minutes in, she finds the right side to that buck. Um, to pinky? No, no, this, this wasn't pinky. No, this was just another big buck. So those, those sheds scored 138 inches, which is a, a monster for this area, which is a big buck. You know what I mean? Um, so that just kind of got me in the area of those sheds. And that, I started looking everywhere. You know, I was all over that property. So on this, and on this, this piece of property though, real quick. Yeah. When you saw this shed from the road, was it on public ground or did you have to go somewhere to get permission to start to shed hunt it? So it was public coal company at the time. At the time, yes. And then just after that, the property was leased out. Okay. All right. So yep. you 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 and your wife found some really good sheds, uh, your biggest one, and that got you thinking about this property, and then you, you continue to shed hunt it. Yes. And, that, and then I uh, – which I had permission through the coal company because my mother worked there. Yep. My mom's not a coal miner either, so don't get that rumor out there. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny all right so so what else did you find on this piece of property that you and your wife found these sheds to okay so that year there was apparently a ton of bucks living on this and it were the public is only probably 50 to 60 acres it's not a not a huge piece so i i just started going all over and I probably found another 10 sheds just in that little area. Um, nothing, nothing special, but I found one that was really chewed up, but it had a long, like a nine inch bladed G2. Never thought anything of it. Honestly, it was one of those sheds that was so chewed up that you almost just leave it there, you know? I mean, just really bad shape. So didn't really think much of it. The next year, the summer of 2000. Uh, 15 I'm looking for the, the big buck you know the 138 inch set I know he's going to be a monster that's the buck I'm looking for but at this point I know that I can't hunt there because it was leased at this point but still going by every once in a while you know in the summer trying to get some velvet footage or whatever never see the the buck that I found the sheds off of but this is whenever I first see Pinky. Me and my wife see Pinky a few times. Uh, always pretty dark. Never got a good good look at him. But he had a big kicker off of his G2 that looked like a Pinky finger. That's where where the name started for that buck. Gotcha. So you found this chewed up shed on this property. Um, a little bit of foreshadowing there. That's that's yeah. one of Pinky's sheds, right? 
Yes, sir. Okay. Yep. So so then throughout the summer in 2015, you're you're driving along, you're doing some, you know, you're doing some velvet scouting and whatnot, and you run into or you find this buck. You name him Pinky. Now, in 2015, yeah. describe to the li- listeners what Pinky looked like. Okay. Uh, he, he would be just a ma- monster. I mean, this would be the biggest buck I, I'd ever seen anywhere in Pennsylvania. Uh, it was – and I hunt Ohio a little bit. This is still the biggest buck I'd ever seen. Um, and this would have been in June or might have been July of 2015. So he wasn't fully developed yet, but he's still 20, 20 inches wide, super long brow tines, eight or nine inch brow tines, uh, just a monster buck. And and like I said, he had that big long kicker off of his G2 that was probably three or four inches. Um, so that that's when I really started going to the bordering properties and trying to get permission, but it just it wasn't happening. Right. Okay. So. In 2015, given you found his shed, although really chewed up, the, uh, that, yeah. that spring, what did you think his age was when when you're looking at him in summer? Um, I mean, to me, I've never seen a buck that big, so I was thinking that he was old. But knowing that that shed was as small as it was, because the shed was, I'm just guessing, a 120-inch buck, you know, kind of small, compact tight rack basket rack so we're thinking at least three or four years old then you know but that's a giant three-year-old if it is um but yeah amazing amazing buck at the time gotcha so you're you're thinking at this point you know you've just you saw the largest whitetail you've ever seen in your life and your your mind just like all of the hardcore guys do how do I kill this deer? All right, what do I have to do to kill this deer? And you start the process yeah. of, because the land that you saw them on is leased to another hunter, you start knocking on doors all around the property. I do this almost every year, right? Start knocking on doors, yeah. try to get permission, and uh, it sounds like it was a no-go. Yeah, absolutely. And that's pretty much the end of 2015 for me. I mean... I still drove by there all the time and did everything. I just trying to see him, you know, I, I would just love to have seen him again. But for 2015, that was pretty much it. The buck that I, the bigger, that other buck I had the sheds off of, he got shot. And I kind of just assumed maybe he got, Pinky also got shot. Uh, but just never heard much about it and uh, kind of just gave, gave up on it. Yeah. So what about, um, uh, what about the area? Like typically, even in Iowa, when a big buck shows up, there, the you know the rumor train starts to talk a little bit, right? And although yeah. the score, you know, like, oh man, I saw a really big buck in this field, you know, then that goes on to a next guy. Did other people know about this property and know about Pinky before? You know, during this whole this whole journey that you took with him. So at, at this early in the story, not not a lot. I would say there was maybe one or two other guys that knew about him, um, but it definitely got worse to where it was almost it, it was ridiculous. Like this year, this year was ridiculous. It was as bad as I've seen. 
uh, a lot of a lot of people know about him. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. So, 2015. I mean, no, you just figured someone shot him. Now, what happened yeah. in 2016? So, 2016, the property gets opened up for public hunting. It, there's public access signs up, everything, whole nine yards. Um, which I actually was kind of bummed about, to be honest. I, I thought that was going to be really bad. I was going to be in there with, you know, swamp. There's only 50 or 60 acres there. But me and my buddy, we hang up some shell cameras. <clears throat> and uh, the same week that we hung the cameras, me and my wife are back over there, see Pinky and Velvet again. And he is, now he is enormous. I mean, the biggest buck. I couldn't even, I couldn't even believe it. I mean, he was that big for around here and uh, had the same frame, same big, long kicker off his G2. And now I can hunt him. Right. And this uh, is a mainframe you know, 10, right? Uh, this year, he that year he would have been 11, yeah. Okay. He so would have been 11 point. 11 pointer. So it was a mainframe 10 with a kicker, right? Which made him 11 points? No, 16, he would have been a mainframe 11 with uh, the kicker, so put him at a 12. Okay, I got you. Okay, cool. Yep, yep. All right, yep, so sir. so rough, <sighs> when you're looking at him in velvet and you're, you're shitting your pants at this point, you're like, oh, my God, that buck is back again. He's alive. I have act, you know, like I, I have the ability yeah. to go after and hunt him now. Real, real quick, what do you think he scored in 2016 when you're looking at him, when you first saw him? I mean – when I first saw him, I know that the PA state record is like in the upper 170s. In my mind, if I can kill this buck with a bow, I'm, it's it's going to be the state record. I mean, I, I was truly thinking he's going to be in the mid 170s at least. Which he's only, you know, he was still not full grown either. His times were kind of shorter when I when I seen him the first time in velvet that year, but. Knowing how big he was the year before and this year, how much bigger he was, I knew he was going to be a giant, a giant buck. Gotcha. So um, you're thinking over one. You're thinking high one seventies in 2016. And that's what I was thinking. Yeah. And then uh, we'll get we'll get to this. Okay, I got gotcha. you. All right. Shed, so because yeah. So you get access to the property now. I know you. I I know what you're thinking. Now it's time to get into this property and figure it out and try to kill this deer. So what are the next steps? Yeah. What's the next step that you take? So we start pressing in in the summertime still, just trying to get our bearings, you know, of what these deer are, how they use it and what they're doing. And it's pretty much just everything, just all thicket. There's a lot of steep bedding, uh, you know, a lot of steep like cliffs where there's flats on them and we found some beds on there and whatnot but there's like there's no real fields or anything to know where they're going to feed there's no like uh acorn crops really or anything it's just all like timbered really young trees and just super thick um so we didn't really know where to start to be honest uh which there wasn't many options either because there isn't even any trees that are old enough to even get stands in hardly i mean i'd say the highest i've been in a tree in that whole property is 15 feet just because you can't get off the ground and the higher you get it's so thick like you can't even you can't see you know right right so describe this property to us since you've been in there and you've had you had time to scout it 
So it's basically just what let me think of the words here. It's basically just a super thick bottom. There's a creek going down through it, and there's a coal mine portal building right smack in the middle of it with a parking lot. Um, there's big, big farms uh, all around it. Uh, there's a big horse farm around it, just a lot of big farms, and it, they all just kind of come to this super thick 60 acres that really has nothing in it other than just thickets, a lot of uh, Osage orange trees that are folded over. Like a lot of the beds that I found that that buck actually bedded in are just trees laid over. And I mean, that deer would hear you coming from a mile away, just how it's set up. Like, like the only way to get in that hollow, he can hear you from pretty much either point. Like there's only two points that he can really bed at. And, uh, yeah, just, I mean, there's really not much to the property, just super thick and, you know, that's pretty much it. Gotcha. So it's one, one, one giant hollow. So it sounds to me like the way the entire area laid out that it was just a convergence of terrain features all into one 50 acre property that was just overgrown and basically perfect deer habitat. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it, it actually got noticeably thicker every year. Uh, yeah, like it got harder and harder to get back in there. Just it was that thick. Okay. So through your scouting, did you find in the summertime, which kind of sucks because it is really thick and nasty in there during the summertime, were you able to get in there and find some good tree stand locations to where you thought you might be able to, you know, have an encounter with this buck? Yeah, it was one of those deals where the more you pressed in, like everything looked the same, but it seemed like every corner you turned, you know, you're like, man, this could be a great spot. This could be a great spot. But it was just a lot of, we found out just just after, you know, in bow season, it was just a lot of nocturnal activity. Like that whole property was kind of nocturnal, you know, it was just kind of a place where, they all hung out in there at night, but there wasn't a lot going on during the day. That's for sure. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, so yeah. as, so as the, as you get closer to the season, when's opening day for, uh, for Pennsylvania? It's always around, uh, October 1st. It might okay. be a few days before or after, but. Okay. So yeah. as the season, you know, gets closer, did you feel that you had this property figured out to where, <clears throat> uh, you were going to go in and felt confident hunting this deer or did you think, well, it's already summertime. It's already thick in there. I'm just going to have to yeah. run and gun and play it, you know, just go with the flow. Yeah. 2016. Uh, really what I thought is I was going to, I thought the deer was going to get blowed out of, of that area fairly quick is what I, I thought. If we didn't kill him in the first week, he was probably going to get pushed out of there just with other people being allowed to hunt there, you know? And being that, like, the access, like, it's not like you can get on the back side of the property and hunt it. The access, there's only one way to get in, one way out. It's, like, landlocked. So I knew everybody going in the same direction, we're just going to blow this deer out of here, and I'm trying to figure out where he's going to go. Kind of in the same boat I was in 15. Just 
at a standstill, really. Okay. So when you started hunting this property, did you, did the activity instantly pick up on there or did you realize that, Hey, I, I, you were hunting it by yourself for a little bit and the word necessarily didn't get out about it or did it instantly become a quote unquote piece of public ground that got pounded? Uh, it, so a lot of guys on Saturdays and things like that, it got a little crazy, you know, and which is, it hurts it throughout the week just the same. But, uh, yeah, people started coming in and out, but they kind of seemed to figure out pretty quick that how thick it was. And you didn't see the same guys hunting it over and over is what I'm trying to say, I guess. Like you might see a guy there once you never see him again. Right. Cause they realize how difficult of a property it is to hunt. Yeah. Just, there's no, you know, you can't even, you can't just go in there and hop in a climbing tree stand or something like, like a lot of public lands. Right. Uh, it is, it just doesn't work like that. Okay. All right. So 2000, uh, 2016 season comes any trail camera pictures, any sightings, like walk us through how that season went. Okay. So through 2016, uh, my buddy was actually going to college, so he was in there a lot more than I was uh, because I was working. Um, we got a few pictures of him here and there, uh, and then nothing. Um, right after bow season, uh, I had even more cameras in there, and he pretty much just disappeared. So opening day of rifle season, uh, I didn't go over there in rifle season. Just I, I just try to stay away from public land and rifle season's a little dangerous sometimes and uh the buck actually got shot at on the neighboring property at least somebody said they shot at a 180 inch buck so i was assuming it was him you know um so that that was a little nerve-wracking but at least i knew he was alive you know i knew he made it just kind of hoping he didn't get hit in the guts or something but once again just losing sleep wondering if the deer's alive for for the next season um so after rifle season i mean it was i think it was literally the day after rifle season i go and i'm pulling all the cameras um pull all the cameras and still nothing never got any pictures of them um i'm gonna say i think it was the first first week of january i go back over there just to take a look and I end up finding his left side. Uh, literally, yes, very early. Yeah. Yeah. Which saves him too, because all we have a late archery and muzzleloader season that comes in. It, it actually starts today on the day after Christmas. Um, so, you know, who's to say he wouldn't have got whacked with a muzzleloader because he went right back in that, that main public land, right back in that main hollow that's where I found, found that shed. So, and just one of his sheds. Uh, yeah. Just his left side. Uh, I should have named him lefty cause that's all I could ever find was his left side for whatever reason. But, uh, yeah. So I searched like for a few weeks, honestly, on that small property. And I just, I thought maybe, you know, he lost it somewhere else or I don't know. I never gave up. I kept looking until, uh, a woman that I know, uh, she actually found his right side. Um, a few few weeks later. Uh, was she actively shed hunting, or was this on her property, like this buck dropped it in her yard or something like that? 
so I think she just shed hunted the property kind of the same deal. Just, I, I don't even think she hunted there, but, uh, yeah, she just, she could have been, I don't know, looking for ginseng or something, but yeah, she ended up finding it and it was like in the middle of a bush, but yeah. And that year that my side, it had, the, it had six points on the left side and he scored 72 inches. So yeah, it didn't put him in the upper 170s, but he's still still a giant. Right, absolutely, absolutely. All right, so 2016. Now you now you know you have access to this property. You find yeah. his sheds, which is a which is typically a good indication that this buck has made it through the hunting seasons. Right, he's now yep. he doesn't have any headgear on, so he could just look like a doe for the rest of the season. Now, knowing that, what was your plan going into the 2017 um, summer? So I still, I still know, knew that the pressure was going to push him out of there. Um, so I, I still kept trying to find more properties and more properties. And I actually did gain access on a property just south of this property. Um, but I still hung cameras in there. Uh, and the summer of 2017 or I'm sorry, 2016 was just, uh, I don't have us messed up. Are we? I found the shed in the spring of 17. Okay. Yeah. Spring of 17. Yes. Yep. Okay. Found. Okay. So the summer of 17, it was absolutely crazy. Like I got probably 10,000 pictures of them throughout the summer. Now, was it on there? was it on that big public land thicket or was it on the piece of property that you got access to? He was on the public. He was on the public. So tons and tons of pictures throughout the summer, all the way up and uh, to the middle of September. So now I only have 15 days um, until bow season. So this is the closest, you know, I've had pictures of them to the season yet. And uh, so kind of lose track of him a little bit in the beginning of bow season i get him like october 10th i get him on camera you know he's starting to be it's all nocturnal but he's starting to be a little bit more visible than he was in years past all right so Um, real quick real quick what did he do what did he do in the antler department from 2016 (laughs) to 2017 yeah so he he really blew up like he had he lost his pinky his he lost his kicker off of his g2 but he was just a, a giant six by five. And uh, so he's a mainframe 11 point. He got way, way heavier, like super massive. Yeah. And pretty much kept the same, uh, you know, the same frame, same long, long brow time, um, which I, that would have been his biggest year right there was, was 2017. Okay. So, um, so now that you're starting to get more trail camera pictures of him, did that give you a better idea of what his age was? Yeah. So I, I'm thinking, you know, I had the shed from 2015, which was probably at least from 14 or uh, it could have been even from 13, honestly. It, that's how chewed up it was, you know. So I was thinking at least he's six or seven, you know, at least I would think. Okay, so um, six or seven in 2017, he blows up yeah. to 
what is his biggest rack yet. Um, yeah. And he start, he's nocturnal, but he's starting to make himself a little bit more uh, visible on the property because you got trail cameras. Now, from a strategy standpoint, what did having getting access to that other farm that bordered that piece do for you? Um, it actually did absolutely nothing, but <laughs> yeah, it didn't work out well, but that'll be part of it. I'll, I'll get to that. So, so I, I kept pressing in in bow season and like I was all in at this point, you know, the year before I was kind of, kind of iffy just cause all the other people and how he was on the other property here and there, I still wasn't a hundred percent committed on this buck, but 2017, I was fully committed every time I got to go hunting I was I was hunting over there or setting up where I could see you know where I could see these brushy fields and stuff or this brushy area so I just kept plugging away plugging away and then uh in November like usually when I'm taking my vacation it would actually be in the middle of October the company I'm working for gets bought out by a bigger company lose all my vacation i have to i have to burn it in the middle of october so there goes my week vacation that i usually take in the rut you know man that sucks yeah <laughs> killed me. killed yeah it killed me so we go through that i hunt you know the weekends as much as i can through there get him on camera i'm still getting him on camera at night and uh just i never never had an opportunity at him um really every time i sat in there i really didn't see any many deer and i i know it was because of the access just having to go up at the main hollow everything knows you're coming in everything knows you're going out you know it's just it, it's a really bad setup right so um, at this time like i have basically my main hunting property is on a bigger scale just like that right where there is yeah. Only, it's landlocked and I don't have permission from any other direction, but you have to go in to get to the back piece where most of the hunting, like the most of the good hunting is. And you're blowing something yeah. out and it's just a matter of what you blow out when you go in, like what you go in there. So how did you adapt to that hunting prop, you know, to that piece of property, knowing that because you there's a giant buck in there. At the same yeah. time, you know that going in at certain times will blow this this deer out. So how did you adapt to that? So I did the only thing that I, I knew to do, and that was just go in extremely early and not leave till dark. Um, and I did that, and it, I definitely seen more deer, but I think another problem was he just had every buck ran out of that property. You know, I would see a straggler here and there, but there was no buck living in there in all of 2017. No other buck. Um, I would see four and five doe a day, all day sits, and that was it. Um, so, both season kind of passed by. Like I said, I, I barely spent any time hunting, honestly. Just because... With the, the job thing. You, you, you were forced to burn your vacation. Yeah. Now, yeah. let, me, let yeah. me ask you this. I've had to do some things like, I don't know, like I remember one year it was the middle of the rut and my, I had a buddy who needed help moving 
and I was just yeah. like, he's my friend, so I'm going to help him. But at the same time, I was pissed like because I wasn't yeah. in the tree stand. What was your attitude like knowing that you literally could not hunt, but at the same time there was a 180-inch deer running around in the timber? I almost quit my job. Honestly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I would be at work, and I would just call my dad, call my wife, and just seriously consider, like, I got to get out of here. You know, I got to figure this out. And, you know, you got to do what you got to do. I I just toughed it out and just worked, and it, it killed me. It really did kill me because I knew it was a once-in-a-lifetime buck, you know? Right, right. So All it right. just tore me up. So – it sounds to me like the 2017 season, although you you did get to hunt him, no no encounters from the tree stand, but he started to make himself more um, like he, he got his picture taken a lot is what I'm getting at, right? So yeah, yeah. You, you had an idea of – did you get a better idea of his travel patterns through that piece? Yeah. So then – so both season passed and two – or I'm sorry. November 15th, our season goes out in between bow season and rifle season. Uh, I know most states aren't like that. I don't know how I was, but so November 15th, our season, our bow season is out. There's no deer season in. I have him on camera, broad daylight at noon, bumping a doe right through where I, I was, had been bow hunting. Um, so that was, that was big, you know? I knew he was still in that main hall and he didn't do what he did the year before and evacuate, you know? So rifle season came. I didn't get the first day off. I'm still fighting vacation cause I'm in this brand new job or with this brand new company. <coughs> um, the first Saturday comes, well, I just keep hunting that the bordering property thinking, you know, he's going to get blown out of here, be on this bordering property where he was the year before where the where the other guys talked about shooting at him um so that that came and go no luck somehow nobody sees this deer in rifle season at least that i heard about i've heard we hear rumors he got shot and this guy got him and somebody found him dead um another thing i'll add not to backtrack but that year we actually lost a lot of deer from either ehd or cwd we lost a lot of deer for whatever reason dry really um, dry summer yeah in that yeah. area we lost a lot of deer uh so that we were dealing with that too you know we didn't know maybe he toughed it out through the summer and then maybe somebody really did find him dead yeah um so throughout that whole rifle season i had cameras in there i just didn't really i couldn't go in there and check them you know yeah so yeah. the day after rifle season i go in there and I had him on camera in the daylight on the last day of rifle. Man. And I said, this, this deer stayed in this hollow this whole, through all this, all season. He was in the same hollow. Yeah. Was there any other, other hunting pressure that you, that yeah. you saw? And I actually got guys on trail camera on the same camera that I had him on. <laughs> so, so now I know I, it's going to be a long year but I'm going to kill this deer in 2018. I knew I was, uh, I really thought I would have killed him with a bow. Honestly, just knowing that he wasn't leaving there. And I, I thought he, he would just even get tighter. You know, I figured his range would even get tighter the following year. Right. 
So um, was your confidence kind of goes through the roof uh, on t- for the upcoming season? Now, yeah, was that why was that? What why did you get this confidence all of a sudden? Just the the trail cameras. Uh, you know, I, I've listened to your podcast and some other podcasts where guys talk about uh, like. A trail camera doesn't really help you with intel for this season, but man, if you got notes from last year on what a certain buck did to the the following year, that that's a big deal, you know. And I've seen it with other bucks that I've hunted. Like, if you can figure something out that they do one year, and they especially if they're in the same area like three or four times in the daylight like that, I'm like, this is game over. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get an opportunity at them for sure. Um, so I, I think that was just the biggest thing, the cameras and, and the notes, you know? Yeah. Okay. So you got your, you got this Intel on them now. What, what did that Intel tell you? I mean, was there a specific wind direction or time of day that he was working through? Did you say, okay, well I need to hunt mornings or I need to hunt more afternoons or I need to lay off until these specific conditions. So it was mostly midday midday uh activity which i didn't know if he was being bumped you know or i knew the one he was with the doe so i just i really planned on being there the first week in november and just not leaving you know what i mean just not leaving as long as the wind was right not leaving um but at the same time when i got those pictures on the last day of rifle season i'm thinking i might be able to stick this deer in our late archery season um, so I went and hung three more cameras that day, <coughs> excuse me. So I just, I only let a week go by and I come back and check the one camera that I had right real close to the road. Just an easy one to check, you know, without, you don't really mess anything up. And it was like, it was before Christmas. It, yeah, it was before Christmas. I check it and he dropped both sides already. Oh boy. So he's an early dropper. Yeah. Yeah. Very early. So right then I'm, I'm getting off of work at five thirty, six o'clock every night. I told my wife, I said, look, I can't, I cannot sleep. I can't wait. I can't wait till Saturday to start looking for these. So I get home, get a headlamp. I start shed hunting at night. Looking, <laughs> looking for this buck shed. <laughs> Are you serious? I'm like, I swear to you, you can, you ask my wife i swear man over and uh, all week just because i know if i get within 20 yards of these things i'm gonna you're gonna see them you know right right and uh so i did that and i never did find it until the saturday the following saturday and you had still before christmas and you did you ended up finding finding one of his sheds i find his left side again okay yeah i find his left side and then my buddy finds his right side, I don't know, three or four weeks later, but it was chewed up already. Right, right. Okay. Wow. So. And that that made him a 70, his good side, it wasn't chewed up with 77 inches that year. Okay. Yeah, so that's so, uh, 77 plus, you know, 77, that's 154. And then what did, what did you give him? I don't know. He, well, I at the time I gave him a 17 inch inside spread, but when I killed him this year, he was 19 and a half inside. So okay, okay. Yeah, he's up there. He was up there. Yeah, absolutely. So big deer, regardless. Now, yeah. 
All right. So, so you find his sheds. So at this point in this deer's life, he has, I've had this happen with me before where you get to a, like this deer becomes all you think about like blinders. Yeah. Right. I I chased a deer for five years one time and literally I thought about that buck multiple times a day for two or three years. Right. And it becomes obsessed every moment you're looking at a digital map or you're, you know, you're thinking about what you did wrong the previous year or how you were going to approach him. And you, you start breaking every single thing down to the most, common denominator to the, the you know the the lowest possible decimal point and i know that that's how it was for me that summer yeah you sure. know uh that summer in 2018 after you you know after you found his sheds you realized okay man well uh i i got him he's gonna survive again hopefully uh wh- now what were you thinking going into the 2018 season well, I was thinking I'm not I'm not gonna put I'm not gonna put too much pressure on him. I know that deer's gonna stay there, and I know it's gonna take a doe, a hot doe, to get him up. I knew I was just gonna put all my time and make sure I'm ready for my vacation. I was gonna take uh, I had nine days vacation I could use in November, and I just planned on November second till the end of our season, which I believe was the 13th. I was going to be in there every day, uh, every day. That was an archery. Yes. So, uh, leading up to the season, I had cameras. I mean, just same thing. Thousands and thousands of pictures of him in the summer. Like, you know, it was pretty, pretty amazing. He was just super small home range, you know? Um, so few, the week before bow season, uh, my wife and I, we go over and we're sitting, uh, something that I, I guess I should throw this in. In 2017, the property kind of got changed around a bit because a pipeline came through and cut a new right away through, through the middle of the property. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that, that cuts the property down even more to a smaller property, you know, smaller, smaller timber, I guess. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, it helps for rifles for sure. So the summer, the week before bow season in 18, me and my wife were sitting on the opposite side of the road watching this right away. And uh, I had, there's four or five young bucks already on the right away. And uh, about a half hour before daylight, Pinky steps out. And I mean, I was shocked. I, I was like, I cannot believe this deer is still moving in the daylight. Other bucks I've hunted, I've hunted, 120 130 inch bucks you know three and four year olds that are on just they're not coming out in the daylight at that time of year around here it's very what what time very, of year very, was that that was in the summertime before the this season? is this is right so like september okay i got gotcha. you late september late right right September. i mean usually they're on acorns and they're just not coming out in the open like that right you know so he stops very out often. he steps out we film him for a few minutes. He doesn't spend too much time out there. He goes right back in. So two days go by. Now it is the night before bow season. We're sitting over there. He comes out again. 
Oh my I God. looked at my wife and I said, this deer is dying tomorrow. This is it. I'm going to kill this deer. And I didn't have a stand hung over there, anything. So I, uh, took my, my stand and sticks the next day. I waited till I think noonish run up this right away, get set up. And I'm just, I'm thinking this, I can't believe this is going to happen. You know, this is going to happen. He's going to come out two days in a row. He's already did it, you know? Mm-hmm. So deer just start coming out, coming out all over, all over. And, uh, you know, inconsistent wind kind of winds just all over the place. I was panicking pretty bad. Uh, I ended up getting busted by does like down below me and, uh, they blew for pretty much the rest of the night and <laughs> he never come out. <laughs> so I wonder why for a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. It was a heartbreaker. It was a heartbreaker, oh, but man, yeah, that, but that was something with, with this year. I, I wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to be, what am I trying to say? I was going to be aggressive. If I, if I blew him out a hundred times, I was, I was going after this year. You know, I wasn't going to play it safe like I did the year before, you know, right. I was going after him. So, uh, uh, throughout the rest of the, of October, I was still getting pictures of him, but very few up until I think October 10th. Yep. Um, and then just completely gone, just no pictures of him. Any other and, pictures uh, of any other hunters? putting pressure on um, no no but uh my one buddy was hunting fairly close and uh same thing his picture he had one picture of him and lost it but uh i knew the bordering properties um there there was a lot of pressure on them so you would think that would help me but it wasn't because even though they're coming in on that side they're still coming on that public land you know they're still hunting it and yeah there was definitely pressure on it this year for sure okay um so October tenth, so, what he, he he disappears for a little bit. Disappears, and that, that was actually the last picture I ever got of him was October tenth. Okay. Never got another trail cam picture of him ever. Okay. Um, now he what did he what do you what happened? You think he got bumped? Yes, and I think he might have just stayed on the, the private land and just kind of he got super nocturnal one years before that, you know. Right. Uh. Just, I, I would think he probably just didn't move a whole lot. Right. That's crazy. It's it um, sounds like this deer was betting on another property and used that piece as kind of a travel corridor for most of his absolutely. life. Absolutely. And they never absolutely. really lived on it. Yeah, exactly. Because and that was I think like the pictures in the summertime. Yeah, he was there in the daylight, but a lot of the time you know it's two o'clock in the morning and when he was there at two o'clock in the morning he might be in there he might come by the camera three and four times yeah in a night you know like he would just he would mill all over that property but it just i think you're right yeah exactly i think he betted on the private and the private is way steeper it's the same thickness but it's way steeper back in there right and he he probably loved that you know right okay so (laughs) when when that when he disappears for, you know, it's like a couple of days. Okay. All right. Now it's been a week. Now it's been two yeah. weeks. Now it's been three weeks. Now you're starting yeah. to get into the rut. No pictures of him. It's vacation time. Now what's going through your head? So I just, it's very hard when you're not getting pictures like that, but I just stayed a hundred percent mentally focused on the pictures I had the year before. 
of him staying in that hall, I just pretty much brainwashed myself telling him that he was in that hall and he's not going to be, he's going to stay in there. So I get through the rest of the October, November 2nd comes. That's my first day of vacation. And, uh, actually the week before that I could hunt mornings because I was working an afternoon shift. <clears throat> so I hunted a, a few times in there, but I didn't want to, didn't want to mess it up too bad. No. And I had the whole week to, to go. Um, and I, I seen a little bit of rotting activity, but I mean, you know, four and five hour sits, I was only seeing a buck here and there, you know, a lot of times not seeing any deer at all. Uh, but I just, I still was pretty confident with, with the pictures from the year before. So November 2nd came and, you know, I was talking to my wife and my dad and I said, I'm, I've probably only sat 10 all day sits in my life before this year. I'm not leaving this woods. I am staying here daylight till dark period. It's just a matter of time, you know? So November 2nd, first day sitting in there, I never saw a deer. Man, never saw one deer that's tough yeah very hard very hard now for um, now for time's sake here yeah you know we got we got this we got this really long story leading up to uh this year and obviously you killed him yeah. but yeah any sightings of him throughout your vacation your your rut vacation so i never saw him uh i'm not sure who got the picture but somebody took a picture of him in the hay field that was about 200 yards from where I was sitting. Okay. While while I was in the tree. Uh, okay. Yeah. So that was it. I, I never got another trail camera picture of him or anything. Okay. Uh, so, so bow season passed. So bow season passes. Now yep. it's rifle season. You're. I mean, you used you burnt your vacation. Now was yep. this just like a weekend getaway when you ended up getting on him and killing him? So I had the Monday off. I think I would have been off until uh, Wednesday. Okay. Uh, so the first first day was a Monday. Um, so same thing. I was just kind of praying that he went back to that hollow, but I knew there was going to be a lot of guys this year. And normally I would just stay away from that with, with like I said, with the rifle. Kind of makes me nervous with all them people. Um, but a few days before I, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go there. I got just as much right as anybody else to sit on the most obvious spot. I'm going to sit on that, that new right away where I saw him in the summer. And he's going to come across. I mean, I might not be there. It might be the second week when he comes across there, but that deer's coming across that right away at some point, surely. So I sit up there, and I go over there at 3.30 in the morning on the first day just because I know there's going to be people wanting to sit on that right away. So – I do that, and I got a few people trying to walk up to me. I just shine them with my light, and everybody was super, super cool about it. Um, and even once it got daylight, a few guys tried to almost cut me off. I kind of just waved them down, and, you know, everybody's real nice, which which was great, you know. That made made the world. So uh hunted all day. Right? I mean, sitting right there, I saw one buck, one deer, from all the way up until uh, 3.30 p.m. Um, so, so know, let's, I'm let's, let's, uh, let's get to the point now where, you know, it's obviously it's rifle season. You're on public grant yeah. land. It's pressured to shit. Talk to yeah. us about the day it all comes together. Right. Okay. Yep. So 
at three thirty, I had these two guys pull up behind me, and they kind of started walking up into the main hall that I keep referring to, like his bedroom, you know. So they're walking up in there, and a couple minutes later, I see him come back out. I was like, okay, no big deal. And I'm kind of just watching them, and I look back to the main right-of-way, and he's at the very top, kind of angling, running. Not running, but he's moving, you know, walking down towards me, Pinky is. And uh, it's about – he's pushing 350 yards. So I was nervous about that, and I'm nervous that he's moving as quick as he is. So I get the gun on him, and uh, I get my gun zero to 350, and I'm I'm leading him, you know, waiting on him to stop, waiting on him to stop. I was scared to death to try to stop him because I, I was afraid he'd just take off even harder, you know. So I kind of just hold on the front of his front of his chest and just squeeze the trigger, and uh, I really didn't see, I didn't see anything happen. I I didn't know if I hit him if I didn't. And usually when that happens, you don't think you hit him. It usually doesn't work out, you know. So I was kind of mad at myself for even taking that shot with him moving. Uh, you know, I was kind of upset about that. So I hike up the right away, I mean, as fast as I possibly can. I get up there, not really seeing anything. Finally, I find a little bit of hair and just a little bit of blood. And, you know, my heart was like just sunk. You know, I was sick, really sick. So I look out through there and uh, find a little bit of blood. But now the problem is there's another right away, 200 yards from this one, and he's headed for it. So if he goes across that right way, he's going to get shot by someone else. So I just sit there until dark, you know, kind of not knowing what to do. So I just sit there. Uh, My dad shows up and my father-in-law, and we get up there. We start pushing out the blood trail probably a hundred yards in um we lose blood (laughs) so now i'm just like you know you put all that time into it chase that deer for all that time and just really make a mistake in my at the time i'm thinking i made a mistake just for pulling the trigger while he was still moving you know um so once he crosses the next right away, I know I have to, it's another, it's, that's the border of the public land. So, uh, I get a hold of, uh, another family member. I know that has permission on there make sure I can go on it. And, uh, I get permission. We, we get to where we last have blood. Look and look and just kind of at a standstill for like a half hour. So, uh, finally I kind of can just see where he had stuff stirred up just going out around the hill. We follow that a little bit, and my father-in-law finds a little speck of blood, a little speck of blood, and we do that for, like, another 50 yards. And uh, we get to this tram road on on the other person's property, on the private land, and I can just see his hoof, hoof prints, you know, because they're, they're really big. So I'm just following them, not a whole lot of blood, and he started going downhill, and the blood just started pouring out of him. And uh, I go to step over this barbed wire fence, and he's right there bedded 10 yards from me. So now I have, like I said, four, I have six people with me tracking this buck. And you saw him bedded? And, uh, yeah, he's bedded down. And is he, is he dead? Away from me. He is still alive. Okay. Okay. So I have my father-in-law, my dad, 
and my two brother-in-laws with me. I pull up, shoot him in the neck. Deer turns around and runs right at him and almost takes out my little brother-in-law. Uh, and then he died. <laughs> so he got up, charged your brother-in-law, <laughs> and he fought, fell over dead. Yes. Oh, my and God. My, I, like, it was weird because I, I, I was still mad. You know what I mean? I was, I was pretty upset still. Like, I, it's not really how I wanted it to go, you know? Hey, I tell you uh, what, it, it's not how you wanted it to go. But at the end of the day, dude, you have, you killed this buck that you played cat and mouse with for three years. Yeah, it, it is insane. It is insane for sure. Wow. But I tell you what, yeah, man, unbelievable. That, that is one hell of a story. You got the sheds, <laughs> you got the buck, uh, you got his meat, and I'm sure he's going on your wall. So for sure. at the end of the day, man, uh, that's one hell of a story. I really appreciate you taking time to, uh, to hop on the podcast and, and share the story with us, man. I, I, stud, stud buck in a high pressured state, dude. I love it. Well, I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. And there you have it. Another podcast in the books to your ears huge shout out to Cody man uh, one hell of a story really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and uh, share that with us huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day to download and listen or do whatever it is that you do with this podcast man really appreciate uh, everybody tuning in huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast Exodus Ozonics Wasp Lone Wolf Deer Lab Prime Ripcord Ozonics and Hunter Safety Systems guys please go out and support those companies because they support this podcast and um, huge shout out to my wife right now who is I don't know if you can hear him or not but battling three ornery kids and that's why I'm cutting this outro short today so as our friends from Hunter Safety Systems remind us all, if you're still hunting, please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good week.